Hi, welcome to Compassion in a T-Shirt, in session. Today, I'm looking forward to speaking with Dr. Kate Watson, president and founder of the Advocacy Academy. Kate is a public speaker, author and podcaster from Philadelphia in the US. She has presented and trained all around the US and all around the world. Her areas of expertise lie in healthcare, education, social services, and in particular, victim advocacy. Her podcast is called Only Trying to Help, and she's recently published a book by the same name. She loves coffee, donuts, cheese, and social justice. I hope you enjoy being in session with my friend, Dr. Kate Watson. Well, welcome to Compassion in a T-shirt in session, Dr. Kate Watson. Uh, it's really fun to get a chance uh, to, to really sit down for a bit of time actually and, and sort of have a, a bit of a deeper chat about, about all of the, the wonderful work that you're doing. So thank you for, for, for putting aside some time. I think you're in the beautiful city of Philadelphia. I am. You know, people who live here don't call it a beautiful city. I'm so glad that you do. <laughs> well, I've been there, as you know, once. Um, mm -hmm. That yeah. was where we met. It and and actually, you you did a a, a a sort of a compassionate action way back then. I don't know if you maybe you realized or or not, but but you you reached out to me before the conference and and a few others and and sort of said, you know, for you out of towners, would you like to come over for dinner um, the night before yeah. the conference began? Uh, I, I hope I expressed my gratitude enough at the time, but I did really appreciate that and and it was mm -hmm. it was lovely to have a a kind of a a warm sort of homely kind of welcome to this to to this city and and um and so we got to sit around and, and have a chat and, and really warm up for the, the conference. I can never remember. It's, is it ICMI or ISMI? I know there's... Yeah, was it? it's, it's ICMI. So that would be the International Conference on Motivational Interviewing. And just so the, the listeners for the show can get a small glimpse into the wacky world in my mind, yeah. having a bunch of conference attendees come to my living room and drink with me was like a dream come true. <laughs> well, that gives us I mean, something. Yeah, that's who I am, folks. Yeah. That was like, you know, I just, I was unbelievably excited that people from all around the world were coming to my city and we're willing to take a night where you could have been running up the rocky steps at the art museum, but you came right. to my house instead. Yeah. So yeah. I was just thrilled. So thank no, you for No, it was good coming. stuff. I, I always like to just get the conversation started to hear a little bit about you and your story, I suppose. And, and you know, sort of maybe, you know, your, your life generally or, or what, mm -hmm. what brought you to, to your work, but very keen to get a bit of a sense in a nutshell, I guess, of, of some of the work you're doing. Yeah, yeah. well, I'd be happy to do that. And um, th these are always the hardest questions when you're speaking yeah. to someone, you know, summarize your life in a few yeah. sentences. <laughs> yeah, so, and you've only got I'll, a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, and it's being recorded. Um, but well, I'll just say again, Stan, thank you so much for having me. And yes, um, I do live in Philadelphia. 
these days I never know what to call myself, Stan. I'm a public speaker, trainer. Um, I do activism and advocacy work. Um, I think of myself as a feminist organizer, an anti-violence organizer, um, a podcaster. So that's kind of one of my more fun projects, my more creative projects. But I'll tell you, you know, I was thinking about it and like the last year, my life hasn't felt like any of those things. Like mm. that feels like my pre-pandemic life of traveling around and speaking to groups of people. And for the, fa for the last year or so, I've really been enjoying a much slower pace of life. Um, I've been enjoying, you know, more time for taking walks and um, you know, watching old TV mm. shows. And I bought a record player and you know i i made cheese who makes cheese i made cheese <laughs> <laughs> right so it's been a it's been a kind of a nice year for me i'm very fortunate yeah. um in a time when the world is really hurting i feel like i've gotten in touch with some of the simpler things in life and uh and so as i describe my work it feels a little bit like I'm giving a, a background of something that was, you know, long ago. These days I listen to records and eat cheese. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I used to, you know, travel around the world and give workshops and um, speaking engagements around the topic of helping skills or motivational interviewing skills, advocacy work. And um, I did about 100 per year. Uh, it kept me really busy and um, about half of the audiences that I would speak to were people who identified as victim advocates. So they're folks who do advocacy work for those who've been exposed to violence and trauma. And, um, and I was fortunate enough to get connected to the United States military to do that in, in installations around the world. So mm. it's been, it's been wild. And then it all kind of came to a screeching halt and I've I found this nice recovery period for myself as well. Yeah. That's a little bit about me. Yeah, the, the you know, a hundred a hundred sort of dates or events per year. I mean, that that's um sort of mind-boggling in in a way. I mean, when you look back at that from where you're at now, how how did you cope or how did you sustain that that work because there's a lot of giving there. You know, a lot of lot of Yeah you know, giving to others and supporting others? I, um, I didn't do it well. That's just the honest truth is that I, I gave too much at times and I found myself not, um, not sustaining that in a, in a way that was healthy. And I got to a point where I certainly knew I needed to give some things up and I had resigned from a couple of positions and walked away mm. from some projects and, um, and, and I was so scared to do it, Stan, you know, like mm. to let people down or to feel like a quitter or, uh, and, and every time I was so scared to say, this is too much, I, I need to, to walk away from some things, I would do it anyway and feel this enormous relief, enormous relief. So mm. I haven't regretted any of the things that I had to ultimately let go of. Mm. Um, but your question was, how did I do this? And I mm. think the best way to say it is not well, not well mm. until I learned that it was too much. It mm. was too much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was, there was a lot of sort of 
you know, drive there. There was a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, commitment to being helpful. You, you were sort of, and, and you were kind of, there, maybe there was a bit of a buzz out of all of that as well. I mean, it sounds yeah. exciting in a yeah. sense. So there's that drive mm -hmm. system bit, but there's also sort of that, you know, kind of really wanting to be helpful, the kind of affiliative, you know, part of you wanting to help others and, and that sort of thing. But isn't it funny? I always kind of think about how it actually takes a lot of courage to, you know, for self-care, you know, you know, to actually stop and think, what do I also need right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and up come all these other, you know, demons on the boat, as they sometimes say, you know, the, the sort of, you know, but, you know, you don't really deserve it or, but you should keep helping people or, mm -hmm. you know, like um, you're being selfish or all sorts of little blockers that comes up and it actually takes a lot of strength and courage to, to kind of still do it, you know, still do the self-care. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, I, I often think about um, individual lives in the context of, of a culture and, a, and society's pressures. And, you know, I think that um, in, in, a, in a vacuum, self-care doesn't take a lot of courage. But it, it, it's in the context of a world that says you must always be productive, um, you must always be achieving. Um, and, and some of this, I never know how much of this is US culture or how much of it is <laughs> humanity mm. in general. But uh, so I should be aware of, of, of the lens that I'm, I'm seeing this through. But mm. um, you know, I, I live in a country that really thrives on competition. And mm. if you don't do it, someone else will take it from you. Um, and so mm -hmm. that is why I agree with you that it takes courage to slow down and take care of yourself because um, you're up against a force that is much bigger than yourself. Yes, it's the context, isn't it? And, and especially yeah. the social context. I mean, mm -hmm. it, in, in some ways, it's a lot of the self-conscious emotions that get in the mm -hmm. way of self-care, you know, whether it be... Mm -hmm. We feel guilty about it or or even even shame you know you know how, yeah. how how will i look how will others judge me how will i be held in the minds of others if mm -hmm. i slow down or don't do this or um mm -hmm. and um it does seem familiar to me here in australia so at least okay I, yeah i think it, <laughs> it, it it certainly in western cultures there's we, we have our our version of it but it does feel a bit like it's a sort of a human thing, doesn't it? Well, I thought so, but I wanted to put myself in check just in case it's really the world I live in. But uh, mm. but I thought it, it, it's it's at least beginning to feel like we all go through this to a degree. Yeah, mm -hmm. the the, com the competitive motivations, the the feelings of social threats, the kind of yeah. living in a in a context where you know we're really having to tap a lot into drive system. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. But I've been reading a lot about um, this culture of scarcity, that there's not enough to go around. So you must grab everything you can. Uh, and that causes some real, well, stress to say the least. <laughs> mm. And it makes sense, you know, sort of from that evolutionary point of view, resources were scarce, mm -hmm. um, you mm -hmm. know, kind of a thousand or 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, so we have that same mindset, I guess, but in, in it, but things have also kind of changed a little bit as well. But um, one, one of the things I wanted to kind of ask you 
in, in amongst the work that you do do is, is just th this, this notion of advocacy. So, mm -hmm. yeah, what, I mean, how do you sort of, I know it's a sort of a bit reductionistic maybe, but, but how might you sort of define that or how do you think mm -hmm. of that, that, that idea of advocacy and what it is and how mm -hmm. you do it? Believe it or not, I, I do think that I can boil that down to a few words. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, you know, I've practiced that a few times over, over the years, but I, I believe that advocacy is lending your power or your voice to someone who needs it, um, someone or something that needs it. And so a lot of my work is with people who call themselves victim advocates, but I also work with folks who may call themselves patient advocates or policy advocates, various forms of advocacy. But the idea being that um, some people or some causes don't have enough power behind them. And so when someone comes along who does have some power or some status or some privilege, they can lend a little bit of that to someone or something that may need it so that it can be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the, in the case of victim advocacy, you know, these are folks who respond to cases of sexual assault or domestic violence or even cases of hate crimes, things like that. Um, they may accompany someone who's been victimized to an emergency room if they need an exam, accompany them to a courtroom if there is a trial happening, and really help empower this person to essentially become their own advocate, but kind of lending their own power or their own voice in the process. I love the, the use of the word sort of lending. I, I think that lending. really sort of resonates, doesn't it? You're sort of lending something that you've got to be helpful to someone else who perhaps doesn't mm -hmm. have as much of that thing, whatever that might be. And, and, and so, uh, you know, the obvious kind of piece there that is really important is, is things like power and privilege and, and leverage and, and a voice, um, you know, those sorts of things. Um, some of us just through luck of the draw, really, you know, kind yeah. of might have some something there and mm -hmm. we, well, sometimes we might use it I suppose, out of self-interest, um, mm -hmm. but advocacy is where we might use it really yeah. in order to be helpful, you know, to others. Yeah, very well said. I mean, it's using your power for good um, mm. rather than for harm, because you certainly could at any moment decide to use your strength or your voice to cause harm, but advocacy is choosing to use it for good. And the, 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 the sort of, uh, uh, you, you said, people or, or things, I suppose, you know, yeah. so, you know, we, we might be advocating for a precious old growth rainforest. Um, yes. And of course, mm -hmm. that, that the rainforest doesn't have a voice at all. Um, mm -hmm. And so to be able to lend our voice to, you know, to mm -hmm. something of nature, or even other living beings or other living creatures, mm -hmm. but, but also to, to other people and, 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 Maybe there's a piece there too, I'm just sort of thinking out loud, whereby when we come together in advocacy, then it sort of multiplies the voice as well and, mm. and multiplies the power. And so sometimes, you know, kind of advocacy is about bringing everyone together to speak up about a thing or, or to, in support of a person. And, and you know, that, mm. that sounds like really kind of that's what you've been disseminating is is that sense of bringing people together to multiply the the voice well yes power in numbers and one of the things that's been um 
kind of a theme in advocacy, at least in victim advocacy lately. And I don't, I don't know if I love this word, but they, you know, sort of what they call the legitimizing of the field or professionalizing of the field. You know, we all know what a doctor is. We all know what a lawyer is, but we don't all know what an advocate is. Um, and so there's been this push for better and for worse, but there's been this push toward um, certifications for advocates and for their, you know, every college campus has an advocate and every military branch has an advocate and it's written into policy and it's very official. And there's something great about that because it's sort of advocating for advocates, right? And the, there's always <laughs> yeah. that unintended consequence. <laughs> the unintended consequence is that there have been people doing this work informally for decades who are getting kind of pushed out of the field because they don't have the degree or the certification. And they're like, well, I've, I've been an advocate for 40 years and suddenly I'm not good enough. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, I like to see this push toward more power for advocates I wish we could find a way to not have this unintended consequence of folks being left behind. You know, the, it's uh, human beings are such a, a funny bunch. <laughs> Don't we make everything harder, Stan? It, it's so funny, like because because <laughs> now now we have yes a group of advocates who've been doing it you know for for, for a long time, mm -hmm. feeling like they've now become sort of the voiceless because of some power differential or, or you know yeah. some rationale um mm -hmm. and um and it's funny isn't it because in some ways advocacy has something of a grassroots feeling to it yeah well. it's where it was born yeah yeah it, yeah. it sort of is it's it is much more of a a bottom-up thing maybe you know and, mm -hmm. and so once the the powers that be come in and start to organize it and regulate it and whatever mm -hmm. it it it's good. I agree with you. It, it, it's it, we, we have that too, you know, sort of, for example, advocates who work with veterans and help veterans yeah. navigate, um, you know, what we call the Department of Veteran Affairs, DVA. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so that would be an example of a more formalized advocacy thing. But it, it yes. so it's good. But then it's got, yeah, it's, it's, there's always these trade-offs with humans. We, we do one thing with, which is good. And then there's trade-offs usually. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I find that sometimes we, we go to extremes, right? When we decide to professionalize a field, suddenly there are 40 hoops to jump through in order to become an advocate when maybe one hoop would have been enough. And, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe we would have had a nice profession and still kept everybody who's been doing this since the seventies, but mm. maybe, maybe sometimes um, a good idea goes too far. Um, mm. And and, and, you know, even as I was thinking about coming to speak to you on the topic of compassion, I was sitting here jotting a few notes down to myself and I thought, you know, in the work that I do, I don't know that it's ever a lack of compassion that I mm. find is the problem. Um, okay. I, I, I speak to groups of people who are full of compassion and this desire to relieve the suffering of others. Uh, and I find that so many of them are flailing, unsure with what to do with all this compassion. How do I put it to good use? How do mm. I actually find myself helpful? Um, and mm. what, what inspires a lot of the work that I do is wanting to help people actually use all that compassion that they feel and that desire and that drive and like equip them with, with what to do with it. So, so just to 
dive into that little bit a bit more. What what is your thoughts about advocacy and compassion? What what's what's the what where is the overlap? Yeah. Or, or it sounds like you're almost saying that compassion is just sort of built in some into the into the advocacy or it may be it may be um i find that so um i i've been a victim advocate years you know maybe a decade ago i worked as a victim advocate in an emergency room in philadelphia and it was my job to sit with folks who have come into the emergency room following violence in their home and be an advocate for the people who are there you know unsure if they want an exam or to file a report or to call the police or any of that and so I've been through training to become a victim advocate. And in our training, we were constantly told, um, don't engage in any blaming or shaming or judging. Uh, don't give any advice. Uh, just be empowering and build rapport. And it's like, all, all of those things sound lovely, but no one's teaching me how to do any of that. <laughs> it's a lot of don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And then like a vague suggestion about empowerment somehow. And it, it left a lot of us feeling like, well, what in the world does that even mean? And what does it look like? And I meet a lot of advocates who come to my workshops and say, I know I'm not supposed to like tell people what to do. And I know I'm not supposed to be shaming and blaming and judging, but what on earth do I do instead? And um, they tell me, I wanna be helpful. I wanna help people. I'm not exactly sure what is helpful and how would I even know? And so we talk a lot about how to help people become their own advocates so that your own compassion for them doesn't take over, that you don't end up trying to control or fix people who don't need to be controlled or fixed. They need to be more lifted up and empowered to do their own thing. Uh, and I find that sometimes this is where it feels to me like people are overflowing with compassion that they don't know how to channel. Um, like it's like having musical talent, but no instrument to play or wanting to cook a meal, but no food to, to cook it with. Uh, and so I, I try to help people practice very practical skills for how to lend your voice, how to offer options without telling people what to do, how to, you know, you, you'll know this well, ask permission before giving advice. Um, how to lend people vocabulary for things that they might be trying to describe themselves, um, uh, affirmations of their own strengths. I know that you see where I'm going with this. <laughs> yes, it's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've heard of it before. <laughs> you know, compassion is kind of engagement and action. And mm. so what it sounds like is that the engagement piece is thoroughly there. You know, yeah. that there's a real sensitivity to suffering, that there's the people are able to empathize and even and sympathize in a good way with with the people they're working with and they feel it and they feel this urge and this mm -hmm. motivation and the tricky bit is the action end of it you know like yeah, um you know the, the, what 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 do i do to really be helpful um and what is most helpful now we we, we want to stay away from feeling like we know what's best for people because mm -mm. that's kind of like a near enemy of compassion, isn't it? it it's sort of, mm -hmm. we, we, we know what's best and it looks like we're being helpful, but sometimes that can be you know, very unhelpful. But what is it that I might do? What is it that people might really need? You know, it, it takes a lot of 
I don't know, just sort of wisdom and understanding or, or insight or, and, and also, yeah. I don't know, creativity or, or open-minded discovery of just what that might be. Yes, it, it is at times a, a creative act, isn't it? I like that yeah. you use that word. Um, mm. And it is a vulnerable one um, because if your identity is wrapped up in being this helpful person and it goes wrong somehow, so, you know, this introduces the feeling of, of shame and, and I've done a bad thing and I was trying to help, but it didn't go very well. And what's wrong with me. And I find that when your professional role is helper and you feel ill-equipped to help, it's really, it's a moment of desperation for some people who I meet. Mm. Um, they say, you know, I didn't know what else to do. So I just yelled at the person and said, you need to make a police report. And it's not that they wanted to put the, 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 the crime victim down or, or shame the crime victim. The helper was in a moment of desperation and mm. felt ill-equipped and vulnerable and unsure what to do with all of that engagement that they feel. Uh, and I, I, it's, it's like layers of compassion because I guess I ended up feeling a lot of compassion for advocates who feel that moment of desperation and end up doing the quote wrong thing, you know, end up sometimes causing more harm than good by feeling so desperate to help. The, the compassion motivation is there. It just gets a little bit muddied with a kind of a threat protection motivation as mm -hmm. well. That the, the threat mm -hmm. system's activated now and, and they're they're worried about the outcome yes. or, or or and they start to feel desperate about I've got to do the right thing. And then of course we get more reactive then, I guess, and, and mm -hmm. you know, sort of start to do things that might be less helpful. Yeah, I speak to people a lot about um what I call sort of an, an overcommitment to being quote good <laughs> when you're so committed to being a good advocate it, it, it introduces this little danger zone where everything I know about myself is now wrapped up in I'm good at this and then if you're you suddenly feel unskilled for a moment even a moment uh you suddenly feel unhelpful for a moment that 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 threat mode is is certainly activated for people and um we have conversations in my trainings about you know relaxing that commitment to be so good all the time that mm. you know opening your possibility opening up the possibility that you might make some mistakes may actually make you less likely to make some mistakes yes yeah mm -hmm. yeah and and the it really speaks to the distress tolerance piece you know mm -hmm. how how do we tolerate that feeling of distress in ourselves as the compassionate person that that might just emerge there you know as as mm. we start to feel that that desperation to, to to do something or or to to be helpful i don't i don't by any means put myself out there as an expert on things like mindfulness or embodiment or anything like that but i what little piece i offer in my trainings um is is that you know, in, in order to help yourself slow down a little bit and avoid just sort of going into um, this, this trying desperately to help or, or what we call in motivational interviewing that writing reflex, I encourage people to pay attention to 
your their internal processes like what's going on do you feel your heart racing is it suddenly really warm um are you tapping your foot or clenching your jaw because if you can pay attention to those things they seem to be early signs of distress <laughs> and the earlier that you can pick up on those signs that your stomach's in knots or your back is all tense perhaps the earlier you can catch yourself before you go into this kind of crossing boundaries and then trying to tell people what to do in a way that is not empowering and not really advocacy, it's it's quite disempowering for people. Um, and so, you know, sometimes we do an exercise where I have folks just have a conversation and all you really have to do is pay attention to what's happening inside. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sort of starts a little bit in the body or at least there's a sort of an early warning sign or system mm -hmm. there in, in the body certain little tells that you know maybe threat system or fight flight or sympathetic nervous system is starting to mm -hmm. to activate there mm -hmm. and then when we when we have that build and grow you know that might take us on a certain path so you know bring it back to the body a little bit and slow that yeah. down and and activate parasympathetic nervous system which brings us more towards affiliation and and mm -hmm. you know that that sort of caring motivation but but calmly maybe so there's yeah. a yeah i can sort of imagine in some of that advocacy or victim advocacy work that as you prepare yourself to approach the next person whew, you know there, there must be a little moment there where like let's just whew, roll back the shoulders open up the chest breathe slow down the heart rate you know just sort of slow and cool down a little bit mm -hmm. and and um there's a kind of a a grounding first or something mm, i mean i think best case scenario yes um and a lot of the advocates i worked with will will tell you you're just going from one person to the next which i think is so unfortunate mm. i remember working in the emergency room and kind of playing with this idea of lending my power to people mm. and almost feeling like i was a battery and I would go meet with a patient and sort of give them a little charge that they could take some from me. But when I left, I always felt like I need to kind of power up again. <laughs> and then I can go to the next room and lend a little bit of power to the next person. But I would need to step out afterwards and, you know, shake it out and ground myself and remind myself of my own safety. And that, um, you know, especially working in an emergency room where you're just seeing violence all around you um, I had to periodically remind myself I'm safe I am okay and maybe now I can go meet with the next person yeah mm -hmm. yeah the, the 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 lending does deplete a little yeah. um, and if we go back to back to back to back with 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 lending then mm. it might deplete a lot mm. um, and so those those little moments of just recharging the battery sound sound really important. You know, finding mm -hmm. that that sort of strength and stability and 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 grounding. You know, each time to to sort of in in readiness and steadying ourselves for the for the next yeah. lending. And you know, you and I are speaking about this, Stan, as as almost sort of like person to person energy. But I think this exists at kind of a political level as well. Uh, just a, an example, um, 
you know, when you think of celebrities who may lend their position of power to a cause, they might say, listen, a lot of people listen to me. <laughs> I have, you know, I have a YouTube channel or I have a, you know, TV station or I'm going to be on an award show tonight and people listen to me or I've got 2 million Twitter followers. So I can lend a little bit of my power to a particular cause that is important. And sometimes doing that means some of your position gets depleted because you become controversial. You lose ad campaigns that you were going to make a lot of money from. Um, mm. Maybe the most perfect example in the United States is Colin Kaepernick, the celebrity who, well, not a celebrity, athlete, who was a very well-known, successful football player and started using his position of power to advocate for the rights of black people in the United States, and then suddenly found himself without a team to play on. So his power was depleted. Um, and, you know, he in some ways still tries to do that recharge, but I think it's a little harder to do on that level. Yes, it, it's, it's really, uh, there's, a, there's a sacrifice element mm -hmm. to it, mm -hmm. to, 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 to advocacy, perhaps at the grassroots level too, but, but mm -hmm. certainly, for those who have more or even a lot, um, sometimes the sacrifice can be really great. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I know too that around the world and where, where you are, people lose their lives when they, they um, advocate, you know, for mm -hmm. important causes or, or, or th things that are really important for them. There's a, there's mm -hmm. a very altruistic uh, element to to all of that as well, isn't there? People may lose lives, people may lose jobs, people may lose friends, um, but there there is a sense of I I have this wealth of sorts, even if it's not monetary um, power, privilege, position, uh, and I'm willing to put it at risk for someone mm. else to borrow it for this time, even if it means I might not get it back. Mm. Um, and you know, so as we talk about um, this depletion and how on a person to person level, it's, it's certainly important to try to recharge when you can. Um, I suppose it isn't always possible on some level. Is yes, it? it I, maybe that's a question. <laughs> yes, it, 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 well, it, it's really an interesting one to percolate. This is one of the, the big challenges of advocacy work and compassion you know in general in a sense is um that sometimes it's lending and sometimes it's giving uh and and it's it's not necessarily super easy to to sort of get it back or to recharge or or whatever and and yeah. um uh, so we we kind of have to somehow you know manage that or watch that or or because we we want to sustain it you know yeah. we want to we keep going I, the more I think about it, the more I think advocacy is the act of lending and hoping you might be recharged, but, but acknowledging that you may not, you may not, mm. but it's, it's, it's the intention is I'm lending my power. I'm lending what I have at this moment, even if it's just time or energy, I'm lending it, but the, the risk is there that you, you may not get it back. And so to, to make that decision consciously so that you can sustain yourself is an important part of being an advocate. Yeah, so, so really there's, there's sort of like the, 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 the dilemma of action, you know, what, what can yeah. I do, you know? And, and, yeah. and there's a lot of 
wisdom and understanding and awareness and insight that we draw on, you know, for that bit. And then there's the kind of the way that we can start to get a little bit threat system activated. So we really try to tap into sort of strength and groundedness and we slow the body down to, to do that little bit. Mm. And then there's this awareness that actually it can be a bit depleting to do all of this. And it takes a lot mm -hmm. of courage to mm -hmm. step in and approach, you know, suffering or, or you know, people who, who, who we're wanting to, to help because we, we know we're lending something of ourselves and, and, and we, we, we may get that back in, in other ways or we do other things, but, but also it, it can be sort of depleting. And so, mm. you know, enormous courage really and determination to, um, to kind of sort of persist with all of that. You know, there's, there's, it's not a warm, fuzzy thing, is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, there's warmth in there, I suppose. You know, there's also warmth and care and kindness. But boy, whew, you know, like there's there's a lot of tough stuff to it, I suppose. Yes. And, you know, just to give credit to some of the folks who do this work, in many cases, it's also a volunteer position. Mm. <laughs> um, and so nobody's becoming rich and famous on their advocacy work, mm. <laughs> including me. <laughs> um <laughs> But yes, and you know, even the work I do with the United States military, I mean, these are folks who have full-time military positions and they are asked to volunteer additionally to become a victim advocate so that when fellow soldiers are sexually assaulted, there's someone to answer the midnight phone call to take someone to the hospital. Um, and so these are folks who have already decided to serve their country and potentially give their life. And now they are volunteering to carry an on-call phone in case one of their fellow soldiers has hurt another fellow soldier. Um, just the sacrifice to me is unbelievable. Such an interesting little kind of ironic twist there that, that we were talking earlier about the powers that be coming in and starting to organize the whole thing. Um, but still expecting people to do it as a volunteer. I mean, it's sort of oftentimes, it's not not always, not but in many in many cases, yes, mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. yes, it's a volunteer position that you must be certified to do. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, you know, there, there's some real uh, positives there. It, it's mm -hmm. also just interesting, you know, the 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 way that it can work. Mm -hmm. So, so what do you? What do you really love about it or, or your work or what are some of the, the sort of the, the, the wins even, you know, that, that you've, you've had with this stuff? I, I'm keen to hear about that too. Well, you know, it taps, it taps my compassionate side when I get to feel helpful. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think personally, personally, it's, it's fun for me to work with different groups of people and feel confident that I, that when I walk away, I've left something behind that they can use, that it wasn't a, just another workshop they had to attend. I, I, I do feel like when I part ways with different groups who I meet with, they, they have some tools in their toolbox. So that's fulfilling for me. Hmm. The other thing is, you know, many years ago, I was trained as a mental health therapist initially, and I was, I was still in school to become a therapist when I already started to feel like this might not be the field for me. <laughs> mm. And I, I considered leaving, but I actually liked school so much that I thought, well, I'll just finish and then I'll figure it out from there. <laughs> so I finished my degree in psychology 
um, and my, my graduate degree in psychology. And I met with an advisor and I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I just don't really think this like one-on-one -on -one therapy thing is just, is going to be right for me in the long term. Uh, and I said, I think that I want to help more than one person at one time. And so I started exploring different things that I could do at the, as I was considering a doctoral program. Um, and I thought, well, I could teach at a university or um, I could become a, a trainer of sorts, a consultant. Uh, and I decided to get my doctorate degree in, in policy and advocacy because it was a way for me to learn about systems, like not just individual people who may struggle from time to time, but how the whole systems work. And that's been fun for me. It's, it's been fun for me to see how every individual who may struggle with anxiety or depression or, or, um, or they're going through divorce or they, whatever problems come up in life, they exist in the context of a whole complicated web of things. And when we can start to understand and change some of those webs, it really does help the people who are also going through everyday life stuff. And so it's been nice for me to see how uh, some of my interests that I've always had in, in helping people can be implemented in a larger scale way with organizations or communities. Um, and and that's that's been, I think, the right path for me. It's inspiring stuff. I mean, it, it, it really is the, the, um, the sort of the, the dissemination yeah, there and, and yeah. the ability to, um, you know, really make this, this kind of broader impact you know, sort of helping those who are doing the one-on-one, -on -one, but, you know, really sort yeah. of disseminating some of these ideas. And it, of course, it also reminds me too that that while the work can be depleting, it, it is also nourishing in a way, mm. you know, that there, there is a, a, a sort of, um, you know, a, a twofold benefit to, to compassion. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure there is to the advocacy work in that same way that it, it does feel fulfilling and meaningful and and inspiring and and you know satisfying and and so on as well yeah and I get to be surrounded by some of the coolest people in the world I mean you know I, I'm I'm very rarely in in rooms of people who are groaning and saying when is lunch you know they're they're there because they really <laughs> care <laughs> uh and so there's something so cool about that you know that yeah. I, you know, people come to, to learn about these skills because they want to. What about your personal life with, with this sort of stuff? I mean, I, I, as a, as a sort of a, a, a friend to America and I, I do love it over there and I've had many wonderful experience and lots of good friends. And I, I sort of watch from a distance over these last little while. And I, I, I sort of, um, really kind of feel for for you know the the both sides and just the just the yeah. sort of sense of conflict or something that that seems to be coming out of there but yeah in your personal kind of side of your life how, how does this start to spill over i've often thought that um even just having access to the word compassion mm. even just having the vocabulary word like in my pocket mm. <laughs> it, it, it's I feel it has saved me from a lot of resentment in my life. Um, and I'm not even, you know, I'm not even re referencing some of our political turmoil right now. I mean, I could, but, but I don't have five more hours to speak to you about right. all that. 
but I mean things like when a very well-meaning family member um, tries to like start, you know, well, you know what you need to do, Kate. You know, I think it's so easy to be offended when someone thinks they know what is best for you. It's so easy to be resentful that other people are in my business or in my life. And for me, just having access to the word compassion has helped me take some deep breaths and remember that the folks who are doing this are the people who care so badly. They care so much. Mm. Their, uh, their big hearts are actually just in the way right now <laughs> that they, they care to the point of maybe causing more harm than good, but it isn't all bad, is it? It isn't all bad when someone calls me to tell me what I need to do. It's annoying, but it isn't all bad. It is definitely coming from a good place. Um, and it has helped me stay calm and relaxed in my personal relationships where I might've otherwise just been like, oh, I can't even talk to so-and-so right now. <laughs> and, you know, I, I come from a family of people who have uh, different political beliefs, religious beliefs. And so the Thanksgiving dinner table can be stressful uh, until we remember that we, we're really all sitting here trying to advocate for what's best for the world and our country. We just have very, very different ideas about how to do that. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I feel that as, as one embraces the, the, the word and the idea of compassion, it just opens up being able to kind of see what's behind, you know, even mm -hmm. the most difficult behaviors from from others um, and you know just that idea that actually um, compassion for the dark side of the human nature mm -hmm. that's kind of where we you know really get to practice our compassion for, for, for things that people are doing that we don't like or maybe people yeah. that we don't like or maybe even our enemies you know like if we can bring a compassionate mm -hmm. motivation to that not not to be submissive or to you know mm -mm. let people get away with stuff necessarily but at least to soften the 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 kind of the the feeling there or the the, the anger or rage or hate i do agree you know um i i attend a lot of events and educational opportunities related to um this is not going to sound like a good time when I describe it this way, Stan, no. but you have to trust me that we do have fun, but they're often about violence and trauma and things that sound horribly depressing, but mm. we really do have a good time at these things. Mm. Um, but I attend a lot of things like that. And they're often from the perspective of wanting to support victims. And then I end up, I don't know if people even pick up on it, but there's a lot of very harsh language to describe people who engage in violence. And I start to wonder, you know, is there, is there space to have some compassion for them as well? Mm -hmm. Even as we are advocating for those who have been hurt, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of hurting going on on both sides of this. Uh, and I, mm -hmm. I, I sometimes have the courage to say those things in those mm -hmm. meetings. And sometimes I don't have the courage to advocate for those who have caused the harm. No, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of a wicked problem, that one, isn't it? And, and mm. I, I, I take your point. And sometimes, um, 
you know, we 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 have to make a, a tricky call in terms of which group we feel, you know, we we want to engage with in terms of advocation, I guess, which is yeah, yeah it's a it's one to really ponder actually, isn't it? it there's mm. no easy answer to that one. Mm-mm. Well, tell us about some of your current projects then. I mean, actually in this mm. pandemic sort of era and and there's you know kind of a lot going on with that but as you say things have changed a little bit for you so yeah what 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 are your current projects I'd I'd definitely love to hear about the podcast as well which you mentioned Mm -hmm. well I mean that that would be probably my my favorite thing to talk about right now um so a couple of years ago after so many workshops where I, I I I realized just how I'm, I'm filling rooms of people who have really big hearts and want so badly to be helpful and they're hungry for skills. I had the idea a couple of years ago that I wanted to write a book called Only Trying to Help and talk about very basic helping skills that anybody could access, your best friend, your next door neighbor, your boss, your doctor, your teacher, anybody could pick this book up and learn about being a helpful person. Uh, But I think I didn't initially have the courage to just write the book. I wanted to test it out a little bit first. So I I approached my friend Leslie and I said, you're kind of funny and you you have a great speaking voice. Do you want to do this with me? Uh, And I pitched to her that we start a podcast and the podcast was meant to be just a laboratory to test some of the ideas I had for the book. And that was really the only reason I started the podcast was just to help me try out some material. Mm-hmm. I got so carried away with the podcast that the book took me forever to write because I got into this podcast thing and it was kind of fun. Uh, and I intend to keep it going because we're having too much fun with it. So we've done, um, our, our, we do seasons and the seasons are short. They're only 10 episodes, but we've done five seasons. So we now have 50 episodes of only trying to help And we've talked about things like um, well-meaning advice that people might give, well-meaning humor, times when you might be making a joke trying to help someone, but they're not in the mood to laugh right now. Um, Well-meaning compliments, maybe when you you thought you were saying a nice thing to compliment a person, but didn't really land well or didn't work out. Um, Well-meaning encouragement. We talk about the times where you think you're being helpful, kind of cheering someone on, but Maybe that's not what the moment calls for. And um, I did ultimately finish the book. I'm just going to be shameless and hold it up right now because it's it's my pandemic baby, only trying to help. Ooh, it, and it, I, I do love it. I, it's a beautiful cover. <laughs> I love the color that you chose there. That, the book covers are tricky. So that's great. Well, I'll give credit to Nicole Greenberg, my graphic designer. I didn't do any of that. She did. And she's wonderful. And um so yeah the book is done and 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 in my mind that was just gonna end the whole thing but i i can't let it go now it's 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 a part of me now so um so the podcast will continue and i'm getting started now on um i don't know which one will come next but i intend to write only trying to ask for help um a book about the the ways that we sometimes seek help from others that don't really pan out. I've been interviewing people talking about how they drop hints or they give winks and nudges and then nobody shows up for them when they need something. 
Um, and I'm also working on only trying to help myself, which I think self-compassion will play a really big role in that one. Yeah. I, I, I love that because I, I'm very much, um, you know, big on the idea of the three flows of compassion, of course. So, you know, compassion for others, only trying to help compassion from others, only trying to ask for help and self-compassion, which is obviously only trying to help myself. I think only that's a great, help myself. yeah, I think that's a great, <laughs> great bunch of, of books. And, and uh, I love the, the, the podcast. I, I listen to it all the time. So um, yeah, congratulations on, on those, those many achievements, five seasons. Thank you. Wow. 50. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun to have a project that I don't want to let go of. You know? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, one of the things is, I think, you know, that I, I do like to ask people towards the end is, is the, the three tips question, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm curious to, to hear what you might have to say, because, uh, you know, three, three tips that, that might help people on their compassionate journey, but, but maybe it's, it's sort of weaving in there that the sort of the advocacy idea, if you like, or, but yeah, what, what would be three tips that you would sort of offer to, to people watching? Um, three tips, I would say, I, and I'll bet other people have said this one, so it's probably not that original, hmm. but, um, a big part of being a good advocate, or in my mind, a, a part of really um, sharing the compassion that we feel for others is listening more than you speak. And I'm sure that's not original. I'm sure several people have said that on this show. Um, but listening more than you speak is, is harder than it sounds. <laughs> I find that people think they're good listeners. Um, but really practicing that takes take some intention and, and some care. Um, so that may be one tip. Um, another one would be um, to, to understand and embrace an element of vulnerability um, because I find that it is when we feel vulnerable that we, we end up sometimes causing more harm than good. I, I spoke about that act of desperation. I just need to be helpful right now. So I'll, I'll throw everything else out the window and just tell you what you need to do. Um, and I think the third one would be learning to um, both assert and respect boundaries. So, um, you know, you speak about the flows of compassion, Stan, and I think learning to respect the boundaries of others may, may, may lead you to a, a path of helpfulness for them but asserting your own will will help you with your own flow of receiving compassion. Listening more than speaking, which I'm not sure has been mentioned before. So I think that's a goodie. I am amazed by that. So I just invented that there. There you go. <laughs> um, understanding and embracing our vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And yeah, really kind of a sense of boundaries for others and for self, you know, and, yeah. and with with good boundaries, we can kind of keep this thing going, you know, in the yeah. long term. Beautiful. So, um, yeah, I guess if, if people were to, to want to find you or, or mm -hmm. to sort of follow you or um, maybe even order your book, yeah, what's the, mm -hmm. how can people be in touch? 
So um, I, I sort of keep some of the advocacy work a little bit separate from the only trying to help world. So um, if you're interested in the podcast or the book or these ideas about only trying to help for very general audiences, um, on social media, I use the handle I was O-T-T-H. O-T-T-H stands for only trying to help. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you can find me at I was O-T-T-H. Um, and if you're more interested in the advocacy work or workshops that I lead, um, again, I, I use the social media handle advocate, um, but that's Kate as in K-A-T-E, <laughs> advocate W. So instead of advocate, advocate W, and that would be the same on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So yeah. those are kind of the two places. I find that people either follow me one way or the other. You're welcome to follow me both ways, but I find that there's either like the OTTH audience or the advocacy audience. Choose choose what works for you folks um, <laughs> or, or both if, if you'd like to see what I'm up to either way. But, uh, but yeah, happy to stay in touch with folks. I'll put all of that in the description on, on okay. YouTube and perhaps even a, a specific link to your book if we can, just to, to have that sure. directly available. But um, yeah, well, thank you, Kate, for, thank for you. Um, being willing to spend your Thursday evening, I think. It's Thursday evening for me, yeah, and it's Friday. Friday morning morning okay i was like it's at least morning but it may even be later for you yeah 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 it's 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 a bit mind-bending but i do really appreciate it and i've thoroughly enjoyed just really hearing the the sort of the, the careful way that you're thinking about this stuff and and trying to to sort of you know get, get your own head around it and and then find ways to to let people know and it, it's really beautiful and wonderful work that you're doing so thank you thank you so much stan we'll see you soon